Welcome to Beaks and Geeks. I'm Amy. Today we have a returning guest, Brendan Duffy, author of The Storm King. This thriller follows Nate as he returns to his hometown, where he faces his dark past. He and his friends terrorized their small town when they were teenagers, doling out punishment to those who deserved it. But now, years later, they're the ones being targeted. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Uh, so this is your second novel. It is. Um, last time you were on the show, you talked about The House of Echoes. Mm-hmm. And sophomore novels are really hard to approach, I think, for a lot of people. Can you talk about how you approached this book differently and how you thought about it now that you've had one under your belt? It was very hard. Uh, I worked for many years as a book editor, so I sort of had an inside view as to how hard the sophomore novel can be. And I thought I had a little bit of a jump on it um, in my case because when I sold House of Echoes uh, to Random House, I actually sold in a two-book deal. And at the time, I had about 50,000 words of this book. Um, the Storm King already written. So I'm like, ah, oh, good, no, no, no sophomore uh, novel syndrome for me. And alas, uh, things did not go as smoothly as I would have liked. Um, I went, ended up going through lots of revisions. Um, I think I went through about 15 revisions of various magnitude. Um, I had to lose whole timelines. Um, I had, uh, I think I have a Word document with about 100,000 deleted words. So um, I guess I didn't learn <laughs> any actually <laughs> actionable uh, lessons from the first book. It just sort of seems like, you know, every book might be its own thing. I think also The Storm King is quite a different kind of book than House of Echoes. House of Echoes is, um, you know, it's sort of in the gothic genre. You know, a young family uh, leaves the city and uh, takes on the huge task of restoring a big mansion in a little village uh, with big secrets, whereas the Storm King, I think it's uh, quite a bit of a more ambitious story. It's told um, in two timelines, um, as you said. Uh, a lot of the characters are in high school for a chunk of it, and then when the main character returns home, fourteen years later, he has to somewhat face those demons um, that he created uh, from his high school experience. So structurally, it's 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 not quite linear. And uh, so that posed a lot of challenges. The character itself, uh, the main character himself, Nate, um, is quite complicated and um, has some hidden depths, um, depths hidden even to himself. It took quite a lot of time to figure Nate out in The Storm King. I think that's why I sort of had to write my way through it um, very painfully, but necessarily uh, in order to get it right. So, yeah, sophomore novels, hard. <laughs> Uh, all that is legitimate and reasonable, but I do want to use the pull quote, I learned nothing from my first novel. <laughs> Great advice to young writers. <laughs> but this is like a really interesting trope is the is like the homecoming right. um, of sort of a prodigal son type figure. What is it about coming home that kind of triggers a lot of drama? I mean, I think it's, it's the juxtaposition of the past and present in such uh, an immersive kind of way, I think. I mean, when, you know, uh, you know, a lot of us maybe left our hometowns to come work in the city or, you know, we're not necessarily still living in the places where we grew up. And when we visit them, we see how things have changed and we see how things are the same, but also we are different, you know? So you're seeing them through different eyes. I think there are so many layers of perception once you return to a place that you used to know very well. And it can be a very jarring experience. Um, in the case of Nate, 
not only is he returning to this town where he hasn't been for 14 years, but he's also reconnecting with people who were as close as brothers to him, who he hasn't really uh, had strong relationships with um, in a very long time. So you're getting sort of the personal and sort of the physical um, feeling of returning to an old life, slipping into an old life. And for Nate, that is particularly dangerous um, due to some traumas in his past and um, as you alluded to, uh, some of the trouble he got into in high school. This reconnecting with people who know you very, very well um, can kind of make make your mask slip a little bit. Um, Nate has kind of constructed a nicer life for himself, a respectable life. What do you think his friends know about him that he doesn't know about himself? Well, above all else, I think that they know how they feel about him. You know, like you say, we we. I think we wear many more masks than we're willing to admit. You know, whether you're talking to um, a stranger on the street, whether you're talking to your parents, whether you're talking to a best friend, a partner, um, you know, you are a slightly different person probably. Um, You present a slightly different image of yourself to all of them. So, like, the question is, who is, who are you? And in the case of him connecting with his friends, I think he had such a complicated relationship with them in in their youths that he has somewhat forgotten how complicated it was, but his friends not having left home, that's very fresh in their mind. They know exactly how they feel about Nate, and Nate is sort of depending upon his perception of their relationship, which is not quite accurate, not quite the truth, and especially not the truth that um, his friends are very invested in. So very tricky, especially since he'll need their help um, to do what he's come home to do. My favorite part of the book is whenever you touch on a third timeline, the 1960s, uh, which centers on the night ship, this this nightclub in the town where Nate returns to. And it's sort of filled with lore and legends from the town. Why did you want to introduce that third layer of timeline? For me, I sat down um, with this book to write it with sort of an image. And that image was of, of this pier, the night ship, and a dilapidated pier that was obviously once grand and had fallen into total disrepair and abandonment, and sort of like a vision of this boy sort of wandering it, and it made me wonder like what happened to this boy and what happened to this pier. And through the book, there's um, a cyclical nature of events. Um, You see it in uh, Nate's actions in high school and what the consequences of those which he's dealing with 14 years later and the timeline that involves the night ship in the 60s that's sort of the first the first iteration of this cycle and it sort of shows how there's a major theme of revenge and suffering in the book um, if that doesn't sound too dire but (laughs) there are some there are some dark parts to this book but this cycle began before Nate was born. It began, you know, perhaps even before his father was born. And in a way that I hope works for readers, everything comes together. What happened in the night shift in the 1960s is very, very intimately affects, very viscerally affects Nate's life, um, both when he was a teenager and when he's an adult. And I think that sort of sense of continuum, you know, the suffering and the revenge 
and like ultimately redemption, I think it's like a, a was a powerful through thread for me. And also writing the 1960s scene was fun. I mean, it was very uh, you know a, a bit stylized, but um, it was a way it was it was fun for me to sort of step outside of. Um, a world that I was pretty familiar with, you know, uh, going to high school in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and then, of course, uh, the present timelines in the present. So diving back into this other age was really useful. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely comes across that there's this sort of um, this inherited trauma, this ripple effect um, of other people's actions. And there's kind of a cut and dry idea of balancing the scales of good acts and bad acts and who deserves what. That's largely driven through a teenager's personality. It seems it seems to be. It, it's a. a a pretty childlike notion, really, that the scales of justice can be balanced and, you know, such like a Manichaean black and white morality is something that a child would come up with. And a, a well-adjusted adult knows that life is much more complicated. And this is what Nate is realizing on his return home. But it, it was sort of a childish manifestation of his own trauma and his... um a way to sort of exert control over something. Um, but yes, I mean, I, and that's one of the things he has to face is this are the sins of and in colossal errors of his youth. And especially when he sees those being echoed in a new generation um, in the little town of Greystone Lake. Did you have a town in mind? You know, there are a bit of a couple towns, but it, it, it mostly exists in my mind. I mean, it's set in it uh, with a chunk of it being set in high school. I think inevitably certain elements are drawn from where I went to high school and middle school, which is Chatham, New Jersey, which is a very nice uh, suburb um, west of uh, west of New York, uh, just about 20, 25 miles away. And, you know, it's like a, like a very pleasant place. You've got your gazebo. You've got, you know, you know where the churches are. Everyone knows each other. You've got a, a high school middle school you know just like it's like a completely regular town and um so i think in inevitably blushes of that sort of show up in this town which i'm trying to paint despite what happens in the book as a perfectly normal very nice <laughs> little town um it, it also in this case happens to be a lakeside resort town which chad new jersey is not um so i i did have in mind on some levels um lake george up in upstate new york um, not so much for the town itself, but there's, um, I, I think that there's a, qu- a quite grand hotel sort of on the outskirts of St. George called, I think, the Sagamore, which I remember driving by once. I, I never stayed there, but sort of this like incredibly ostentatious hotel. So it was just sort of like the juxtaposition of this, you know, um, gorgeous place and like sort of like the raw beauty of the landscape up there. Um, and also, you know, uh, there are some elements of the book that are pretty stylized. For example, a, uh, a pier as grand as the night ship. You know, in reality, someone probably would not be building something quite that ostentatious in, you know, uh, uh, upstate New York, um, in an upstate New York lake town. It, it's almost more like something you would see in Southern California in a way. You know, those sort of huge piers filled with restaurants and shops that go, you know, taper into the distance. Um, so in that way, it was pretty much a creation of, of my imagination. But, you know, I guess it's hard to sort of like figure out how much is actually made up in places and how much is drawn from experience, especially since, you know, if you're from, you know, a suburban town, those influences, those yeah. Influ- yeah. influences stick, you yeah, know. Of 
Um, for somebody who writes about crime and, and thrillers, do you like true crime? Do you like reading about crime on your own time? I don't. I, you know, I, do, I don't read a whole lot of nonfiction that's not sort of like research, um, specific research. Um, and this one did not require a whole lot of research. Um, I, or the research that I did was more in uh, talking to people about you know, specific things rather than reading. Um, I do really like some crime novelists, which, which I, um, you know, I'm influenced by. This is a tricky book in that it's, uh, you know, there are definitely crime elements and there are suspense elements. Um, so it is like, sort of like an interesting hybrid book, um, which is sort of the space where I like to play. Because, you know, when you're not sure if you're reading a crime book or a literary thriller or a psychological suspense, I think the reader is a little open to what might happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a way of, it's not quite misdirecting, but you're like, gosh, anything could happen here. Like, yeah. is it horror? Is it is it suspense? Is it, you know, there are even like this sort of, and there are some elements to the night shift that sort of push the border of magical realism in a way because they're so stylized. So um, I'm not sure if that answered your question. Well, but. yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I'm always interested to hear like what people like to read. Well, one of the books I, I read pretty recently was uh, Tana French's The Trespasser. And I mean, she's just, she just does some things in there that, you know, maybe non-writers don't even notice, but she does it so nimbly, you almost don't notice. But if you, do, you, do, have you read much yes, Tana I, French? I've read The Trespassers recently, oh, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I, I mean, so it. many things are going on in every interaction where, you know, the, the, the policewoman is saying something, but she means something else. She has silent communication with her, with her partner, the the man he, she's interviewing says something, but she, he looks like he might be communicating something else. And there are just so many layers of communication that if you try to put that on a page, believe me, it's very hard. Yeah. So like the way she does it, 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 it just knocks me out every single time. Yeah, she's I a love genius. that. Yeah, she is. Uh, well, that, that sort of just maybe answers my next question, which is just if you are talking to a friend, like what book do you always just press into their hand and say, you have to read this. This is the one. My usual go-to, you know, if someone, you know, especially someone who, like, maybe doesn't read a lot comes up to me with that, my usual go-to is The Secret History by Donna Tartt, because that's just a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, Close after that, I might recommend um, The Alienist by Caleb Carr, which actually is going to be a TV show soon. Um, You know, those are two books that I just absolutely devoured. Um, depending on their taste, I think nowadays, or, you know, this week, um, this month, I would recommend The Immortalist by uh, Chloe Benjamin, which just is magnificent. It's amazing. And, like, again, th- that structure works so well. And that's, you know, looking at how the sausage is made, I'm like, yes, that structure works and how the characters reappear and you're getting new POVs. It's obviously beautifully written, too. So um, that's what I've been that's what I've been up to. Well, I just want to congratulate you again on the book and thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. 